Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. episode 358 of The Sausage Factory. Welcome. Wait, it's a Tuesday. This shouldn't be a sausage factory on a Tuesday. What's going on? I'm confused. The universe is now disjointed. Well, if you were paying attention last week, you'd know that I did promise that there'll be two episodes per week during the month of November in the year 2021. For those of you listening in the future, anyway, so yes, a bit of a bumper crop, trying to get through a bit, quite a large backlog of shows. I'm not going to deny it, so this, this is what we're doing. And we did a bit of a thank you to you, the listener. So here you go, a couple, you know, two a week rather than just the one. Only for November, can't stress that enough. Just, you know, clearing the backlog a little bit. Anyway, who am I talking to this week? In this episode, I chat to Dave Evans of Falling Squirrel about their audio-only action-adventure game, The Veil, Shadow of the Crown. Yes, you heard correctly. See, see what I did there? Heard? Never mind. Um, yeah, this is a game that's entirely audio-only. There's no visuals, really, to speak of. It's incredible experience. It is genuinely a full-on action-adventure with combat and blocking and it's just amazing absolutely amazing it's like if you know daredevil was a video game you know kind of like that only not a you know a marvel comic book thing uh, instead it's a, um, a princess who's been sent to another realm away from the rest of the kingdom because she's annoying and uh, not annoying but the, the, it's a whole amazing backstory about this woman who's been sent away from her palatial home for reasons and you take on her as a role and uh, yeah it's quite incredible quite incredible story which you have to be engaged with you really have to be engaged with this story because you can't skip the text because if you do you don't know what's going on you have to listen to every single word which is really marks audio games apart from regular regular video games so anyway without further ado let us hear me talk to dave about the veil shadow of the crown chris take it away dave hello hey chris how's, how's it going good 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 can you tell us who you are and what you do uh, my name's Dave Evans, and um, I'm the founder, I'll call myself, uh, the studio director of Falling Squirrel. And uh, I'm in the middle of finishing up uh, the creation of an all-audio game or an audio-focused game uh, that's meant for everybody. Um, and uh, it happens to be accessible for the blind community. It's an exceptional game. Blown away by it when I was uh, confronted with it. Uh, like A little press release arrived, and like... <gasps> An audio only. And I've only encountered 
a handful. And most of them I've encountered have uh, the ones I've seen have never really followed through or borne fruit or weren't funded or just didn't pan out. It's very sad. But to see one actually come to fruition, I'm sure there are others. I'm, I should have done more research, but uh, <laughs> this is the first one I've encountered. And what, what, what a thing. So before we delve deep into the detail of uh, uh, the veil, uh, Shadow of the Crown, before we do that, I want to ask you some questions about your good self, Dave. So how did you make your start making video games? Uh, I started in uh, film and television. I, I got a degree, I guess, or a, a diploma, probably both. I spent a lot of time in school, I remember. And uh, I worked about 10 years in the film and television industry. Uh, I was uh, a writer um, and uh, a, a director working mostly on small projects. Um, and then I got an opportunity um, by chance to work at a AAA company as a, as a cinematographer. Um, and that was a big decision. I was quite happy sitting in my parking lot at uh, in the downtown Toronto, writing my screenplays, playing the the role of a star- starving artist. And I, I thought, Oh, maybe, maybe uh, uh, a career in games would be a, a place to go. I always liked games. Like I, I certainly was not a stranger to games, but I, I hadn't played in about probably 10 years, serious story related games. I was mostly playing sports games and stuff. So um, yeah, I thought, I thought it was a nice change uh, of pace. And, um, and after about six years working in AAA, uh, as a cinematographer, motion capture director, audio director, I uh, branched out and started to, to direct games um, and uh, haven't really looked back. I've, I quite like the medium. It gives me everything I, I thought I would need to, uh, for, uh, to get out of, uh, you know, as an artist in film and television. So, um, yeah, it was doing all the things I, I wanted to do. So just to be clear, you're a cinematographer and forgive my ignorance on this front, but You've made an audio-based <laughs> game. Hey, yep. this yep. makes absolute sense. More sense than people, than the lay folk realise. I know you're you can, we, yeah, we, we're connecting. You know where I'm going with this because yeah, yeah, it's yeah. never just yeah, it's never just the lighting person. It's the whole shebang. Um, so making that transition from film and uh, uh, the more linear medium, although you could argue it isn't, there are, there are ways to, around that, but let's not yep. delve into that realm. We could go on for ages. Um, but it's not an unusual story we hear on this show. A lot of game developers come from that field because there's a lot of similarities, perceptive to be. Uh, I, 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 I can see why. Um but there is the act of interaction, isn't it? That more, in, you know, that, that, that whether it, it can be greater or lesser depending on whether it's um, something like, I don't know, um, or asteroids or something more sort of skill-based maybe, uh, or then something then where you're immersed in the world and experiencing it like Dear Esther or maybe um, Everyone's Gone to the Rapture, which is a personal favourite of mine because it's, it's even after the end of that, you still got way too many questions. <laughs> like, yeah. What? What? You know, and it's similar with Outer Wilds. You know, I don't want to spoil if you haven't seen or played that yet. But there's that's that's a game that asks a lot of lot of questions, good ones, and it tries to answer them and then doesn't. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. But no, I can definitely see there's a natural progression, and and then for you to go into AAA. I mean, what what one thing I've always said to developers, and I'll just ask you now this directly is um. Do you think that video games are unique in that they take they draw from a lot of other more traditional mediums and then try to mash them all together? It seems a bit simplistic for me to say, but what do you think on that take? I think I think most new media uh, they they take from uh, what's come before. I mean, the, the classic example is what was on TV first. It was they showed old movies, and and uh, what was film? It was. Uh, uh, basically filming stage plays. So uh, we, we just, we carry that convention forward. Mm. So that's certainly where uh, it, it uh, could have started, except that the, uh, the uh, fidelity of the expression, just the, the, the graphics, we'll just say, uh, wasn't anywhere close um, to the starting point of other media. So it started in a, in sort of its own insulated place, I think where yes. like what was Pong, what was Pac-Man? These were narrative was, I, I would argue it wasn't a complete second thought. I think that was always there. Um, but this this idea of of control or interaction, these are where we kind of started. And it wasn't until, um, oh, I don't know what timeline to set, but it wasn't until we, we started seeing 
the capacity, the technical ability to, to sort of make games more like film. Um, and, uh, and then that sort of became a, 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 an obsession and it's still, I sometimes feel it might be a distraction sometimes, I guess, with, um, the idea of, of playing a movie. Um, I, I have to say that there's, there's games like Naughty Dog, most of Naughty Dog's games where I, I'm wondering, you know, you ask yourself, well, why is this a game and not a movie? Um, and usually as a, as a film, um, it's often, actually the story is probably not as strong as most films in the genre, uh, even though it's a, it's a pretty darn strong, strong story in many cases, but some of the things they do and, and, the, and the surprises that emerge out of gameplay as you are in control of a character, uh, that's something that I, it's, it, it's taken to a level that I don't get in, in film. And I guess it's, it's, it's comes down to immersion. I, I, I would assume some level of, I had control and then I lost control. Uh, or do I still have control? Is this crazy things happening around me? Um, so, I mean, I think of any piece of media, um, uh, or any story or any idea, I usually like to ask, uh, even though I might be making a, like a, a game that is, that could be a film. I used to, I, I try to dissect, well, why is this better to be a game? What is it about the story or the character, or the experience that makes this a better game than a stage play, uh, or a song, uh, or, or a film or a television show. And, uh, that's usually good, good, good. Anything, um, seem to be best at whatever they've decided to be. Yeah, uh, it's it's nothing wrong from drawing from the past, but you're right, it did start off from a different place. Um, and I think that turning point, it's a lot difficult to know when that happened. The immediate response, I thought, was, oh, it's the PlayStation. That started that. Mm. I think it's fair to say it was. People may argue, but I think it was. I think because of the medium and the machine and what it could do. And all those that that three D dinosaur that people looked at like, that's that's bonkers like yeah that's a thing, so I think that changed everything. PlayStation did a changed a lot more than people give it credit. Yeah, I so. I, I think it definitely pulled things to more cinematic um, utility out of, again cinematic utility out of games. Whereas if you look back at at some of the uh, some of the uh, not even point and click adventures, text adventures, they they were probably doing. I mean, from what I remember, more complicated branching narrative than we see in most games today, and that was back at the in, the, in games infancy. So um, that's maybe what I lament a little bit about getting distracted with with emulating f- film and television when we, we could have been s- steering clear of that for a little bit longer. Uh, yeah. Now you see big open world games that are kind of doing that again, e- even with the cinematic presence of of moments of uh, Red Dead Redemption or something. You're, you're still yeah. getting that. Uh, you're getting everything you could have hoped for at that point, I think. And, and now I think we've hit a stride where uh, we can world build and and give players a huge amount of agency if we want to. Um, and, and by the way, my game does does not do that as strong as it, games can, um, but mainly because I, I cared a little more about narrative um, and controlling a bit of the narrative uh, and and <laughs> budget. Um, so like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the indie game can only be so big too. So indeed. So my next question is sort of like it's the formal question. Those other things I just want to talk about your, your, your you know, that whole concept of moving from film to, to video games is fascinating. Sure. But my formal question that's in in the show in the notes that's been around since we started, which is this: You're a creator, Dave, whether you like it or not. So I'm going to ask this rather nebulous question. I do admit it is, and I've been trying to reword it for years, and I just can't. So here we go. What are your biggest influences? Um, that's a question. I. Don't get. Do I get this in games? Yeah, um, I, I'm going to stick to games uh, for this one initially because mm-hmm. I don't. <laughs> I have a hard time placing my influences uh, from other media on on this game, other than some obvious ones where uh, it, it's um, and the g- games I lo- games I like to play and the games uh, this game that I happen to have made. I may dance around other genre eventually, but uh, obviously uh, a low fantasy. Um, uh, uh, low fantasy uh, uh, video game or medieval, sorry, medieval is what I was looking for. Uh, world, um, I mean, you would, I suppose, start with Tolkien on some level, even though um, he's more high fantasy. Uh, but the characters seem to be rounded in that way. Uh, and then I, I, the George R. R. Martin series, which uh, when I first started in games, by the way, I'd come out of film and television making a lot of contemporary stuff, and I knew we were making something uh, when I first worked, in, uh, jumped into AAA that would have more uh, fantasy elements and game elements. And I just went into a bookstore and I said, who should I read 
<laughs> to refresh my memory as to who you know what what are the sensibilities of 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 people that uh, are are playing s- more sort of serious hardcore video games that yeah. are medieval setting and someone said oh yeah uh, uh, fire and ice series so I'm, so that's that's another influence that I can't help I can't get away from that one no, <laughs> it's no, it's in no, no. it's the language that that's in the game is is probably derived from that uh, and then game for for game purposes I think um, a lot of the things I like to do um, for production reasons um, you know there's not a ton of these things but these little moments that that create moments of emotion and uh, that that do involve some form of interaction just to exp- to validate why this is a video game, which is something I posted <laughs> earlier there. Yeah. Um, uh, Shadow of the Colossus. I, I've got a really weird specific uh, mm. spectacle is obviously a big part of that, but I remember being amazed at how much I loved that damn horse yeah. in uh, Shadow of the Colossus. And I just to break down, okay, what is it that, that they are doing in, in such a simple game, which at the end has a, a, a typically odd Japanese uh, narrative twist at the end. Um, it's, oh, uh, it's two things. One is, um, it's nice. You can pet the horse. I mean, that's usually, that's the connection. Um, but just the idea that you've created a character that does two things. He, um, he helps you fight. Um, and he, you can be separated from him, but he, um, uh, he's afraid, uh, when the Colossi are running around, he's terrified, um, and running around and screaming and, and rearing up, uh, but you can call him back and he always comes. Um, and that shows that he loves you, right? So it's just it's a mechanic. It's a simple mechanic where where you know that he loves you because he will be afraid and yet still still come to save you. So, um, and there's no backstory narrative of you you know feeding moats as a child or a, a colt or whatever. Uh, they didn't need any of that. So there's there's that shorthand stuff, uh, uh, or I guess shorthand stuff that that I I've sort of been influenced by in the way I did my um, in particular my my tutorial stuff with the uncle, um, just sort of doing a little bit bit of uh, connecting characters and, and creating emotional, the emotional groundwork for scenes that happen later on, um, in, in a way that's purely a mechanical, um, aspect of the video game, which I've always really liked that kind of stuff. Man, maybe I, I went off on that one a bit. Um, no, no, I've really, really, I mean, there's a game that's been ported to three generations of machines. I know. <laughs> People, so people reminded people of that. Like it went yeah. two, three, and four. Did it? No. We, oh, it did. Yeah. It did. And it, like I played it originally on PlayStation Two. I'm quite old. I got a lot of old machines. I still got my yep. PlayStation Two, and it's great. It's still a remarkable machine. That's aside. One thing that struck me is the. I know it sounds a bit uh, shallow, but I don't think it is in this context. You said the horse. The thing that struck me about the horse, like the animation of it, was just oh. out of this world. Yeah. And it helped a lot because it actually yeah. looked like a horse that it did horse like things. It, well, it, it, it gave it, it also, um, uh, it, it showed that there was, there was value. Uh, it had value that it, it wasn't just an afterthought or a companion floating around companion character. It was a pillar of that game. Um, and, and it was relatively important in fighting some of the class I too. Um, I forgot. You know what? It's funny. I've I've been telling that story to my I've I've have students. <laughs> I teach <laughs> game, game game making as well, and uh, I I completely forget that uh, it also probably reminded or my, as, a, as a developer, you think of okay, what's important in our game and make sure that looks awesome or is believable or is important uh, in some way. And they did add value to that horse by um, making it the probably the biggest mechanic is it arguably one of the bigger mechanical jumps in that game too other aside from jump you know climbing up giants i think the horse was a close second for technological achievement and tail physics or whatever yeah i mean that the, the, again the playstation 2 ushered in some extraordinary technology maybe because they had to because they had to it was difficult to make games on it because of a variety of reasons. I know we and I, you and I know why. It's little custom chips and what have you. Yeah. But, you know, you had games like that and God of War as well and GTA 3 and all these groundbreaking, extraordinary titles that changed everything. Mm. And But, yeah, um, that said, it wasn't just a box with strange little legs dangling from it moving around, which is mm. what all other horses were. You know, yeah. they'd mid, they wouldn't even like bend in the middle. There'd just be this box yeah. with little legs running around. I remember they had hoof IK <laughs> on the steps. It, it, the hooves <laughs> would line up to each step. It was yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. 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 I'm looking at you, Zelda. Oh, so I did. Yeah. I went there. I went there. 
Sorry, everyone. I know, sacrilege. But that's, yeah, shouldn't go there. I don't know. Oh, dear. Anyway, moving swiftly on. But uh, no, fantastic answer to that. Really difficult to answer. Many developers actually pause. Now, so you have to, they're like, I'm, 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 hang on. Yeah. I think we've had everything from like 70s sci fi, which has been quite funny because then we've drifted off into talking about silent running because how can you not? Right. <laughs> and then, so it's great. But no, that's a wonderful, wonderful response. Next one is also a tricky one, but you've been in the industry long enough, sounds like. You might be able to answer it with some authority. Who knows? But here we go. What developer do you most admire in the industry and why? Um, yeah, that, uh, that one's not that hard uh, to answer. I'm, I'm trying to think of, I feel like I should have a few, but... Um, yes, you can have a few. That's fine. It's yeah. not, I mean, I just say what, but, you know, what, I think it's developers. I, there you go. Yeah, I think it, it's, <laughs> it's because of recent games that I'm starting to make, I think. I'm making more experiential first sort of story driven games um and and trying to again find a way to create spectacle uh that has a, a level of interaction moving into it i i do like the naughty dog um the developer naughty dog i don't it's funny the games themselves um uh, partly the subject matter I'm, I'm not a huge zombie <laughs> uh zombie game fan um and uh, as much as I like Drake's fortune, um, I the uh, and and the, even the character of Drake, who I think they do a great job of creating this this roguish character and doing a very good job with it. Um, but what I marvel at is their ability to create moments of spectacle that I sit and watch and think, why is this better than a movie? <laughs> I mean, of all the things you can do in a movie and carefully craft in a film, and I mean, there is an aspect of there being a huge amount of control you have from from just doing like not having to to, to be grounded to live action or, or perfect realism, um, but there is a, an emergent surprise factor to me being in control of a moment and then having something unexpected happen and not knowing and feeling like I am part of it uh, on on an intimate level and they surprise me again and again every time in every scene. Uh, the Last of Us part two has a scene oh my god where you're running from zombies and a, they crush you against a fence and you're crawling and i i never knew when i had control and didn't and i didn't care i i it could have been all canned for all i knew but i felt like i was somehow doing all that stuff so that just very recently that's a that's a knee-jerk reaction to a recent experience playing playing games um I, by the way i was playing part two because it has accessibility uh, blind accessibility so that's why i was playing that game again not not immediately running to play zombie games um, but yeah, uh, they just executed so well. So big, big fan of, of execution. I would like to see them go narratively in some, some other directions, but they still get, it's still pretty good. It's all really solid, especially the, if, if you like darker stuff, I don't think there's, there's any problem with what they do. Um, and then going way back, um, there was, <laughs> I, I don't, I, I still want to make this game. I still want to make some of my games a little bit like this game, but there's this medieval, and, and maybe this is a little bit present in the weapon system in my game, which is really kind of straightforward. And it's a little bit more realistic than, than maybe people are expecting um, from something that has fantasy elements as well. Um, but there's a game called Darklands from the late 80s. It was a German uh, medieval game, uh, party-based. It was one of the first games to, to release uh, player commands to um, real-time fighting. And you just sit and watch your enemies fight and you just pause to give them new commands. And it was uh, the first big world building game where you could go anywhere you could crafting. It had just everything. And, uh, and, and then I think, what are the games I like that, that kind of inherited from that, that game, even though it was really kind of hardcore in, in the medieval role-playing strategy simulation sense is games like, um, Oh gosh, another game. I like a lot. Horizon Zero Dawn uh, where it's, it's open world. But what you can do and your choices in terms of what you want to do to get from A to B seem to be so uh, – the expense of making that game just must like, – it must be astronomical. But to do so many things well and to say, I want to play this specific way or be this specific character, even though you're playing a single protagonist, um, I just marvel at, at how much choice I have in how I do things. And it's all viably fun and interesting. Um, so, yeah, I respect them also if you're just coordinating such a big game, something that, I again, I've been part of AAA – um, but I, I don't think I've fully seen, uh, I, you know, I know it's, there's going to be shenanigans and it's going to be b tough 
to, to make games like that. But I, I just look at the end product and, and think, my gosh, they've done such a great job in doing that. So Yeah, Gorilla have done a fantastic job of, I mean, I'm personally one of my favorites of uh, 2018. Was it 2018? I think it was when it came out, um, believe it or not. But uh, I did finish it. That was my Christmas game of that year. And uh, uh, everyone has that Christmas game with the final like, last, like, you know, they got some stretch of weeks of, like, doing nothing but, you know, eating mince pies. And um, so, uh, yeah, I think the emerging gameplay of the Rising Zero Dawn just blew me away. The, the chaos you could just pull off for no good reason other than to cause chaos. Yep. <laughs> it's just like, oh, there's a this big uh, crocodile down there. I'm just going to turn him. I don't need to. No, no. Yeah. Let's see what happens. <laughs> oh, look, I just leave all, you just walk away and watch them just destroy <laughs> each other. It's just like, it's great. Um, but yeah, uh, Naughty Dog and, and Gorilla and uh, did, did, did it say Darklands? Oh, Darklands. That was a micro, I think it was called Microprose. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it was 80, yeah. Like, it was like late 80s. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know why I I'd come have back to, to look. That. Yeah, I'll have to look. That. I think I know the one you mean. There's a, the, the, it's yeah. on Steam and Cog. They brought it forward. Um, it yeah. still plays like the way I remember it. Um, but yeah. it's like, it's, it's, uh, it had like an like anime all, style to it, didn't it? Like, nope. No, it was all pick. It would. It was uh, like like uh, Ultima or any of those uh, like uh, isometric. It, it was pixel art by that at that time. Right, isometric right. gameplay. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's. Um, I I don't. I haven't seen anything really truly like it um, no. since. Uh, it no, was also. It's it's a, it came with a. It came with a, a three hundred page book. Um, <laughs> yeah, but to, to sort of explain medieval the medieval settings, it was un, it was unbelievable. Uh, the just yeah. amount of work in, in in external stuff was just unbelievable. So, wow. well, last question in the first half. Here we go. And it's a question that I always like to ask developers because it gives him an inkling of what keeps them distracted from what they should be doing. <laughs> <laughs> and that being, what are you playing right now? Oh, um, okay. Well. You've, you, I don't know uh, how aware everyone is with where we are in production, but we're two days away from launch. So the right now question is my game forever and ever and ever. And, uh, and I have, I'm trying to think of even that last thing I have played, what in the world would that be? I can tell you what I'm excited to play. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's perfect. Ep- cool. Epic uh, just put on for free. Uh, it was um, a Plague's Tale. Uh, just one. Oh, yeah. That's something. And, yeah emotionally yeah. and all sorts of elements. I don't, I just, I've always wanted to play this game. And I remember just getting a little bit into reading about it. And I said, you know what, I'm going to wait till I finish my game before I play this. Cause I, I was afraid, I'm a little afraid of being, um, uh, feeling bad about my game after playing yeah. it. Just yeah. the high, the, the level of, of quality, uh, that I'm seeing in this. Um, and it probably it's, it's, there's some similarities in terms of tone and stuff. I think it's a little darker. Um, but, um, I thought, you know what, oh, and the performance quality, all that stuff is, is, uh, the, the triple a version of, of what I'm trying to do in all audio. So I, I have, I am excited to play that about maybe two weeks after, um, I, uh, I finished my game, so I don't feel too bad. Um, and then the, I mean, I have a family, um, so oh, I, yeah. I play, I play generally what they play and we still play Stardew Valley together. Um, nice I'm very one. excited that, that four players, uh, you could, you could build farms together. Um, that, game as community um as as a, a couch co-op is still my favorite thing in the world it, it's from sensibilities i had as a kid where you'd all get together and play video games with your friends in a group um, yeah. I, i've never really embraced online games that much um a little bit of fifa um online but i still get together with people to play um and that's a uh and then in the uh i guess in the the uh, what do you call it? The lockdowns and stuff. I, I started playing a little more Jackbox and stuff. So I'm, you know, ultimately I'm, I'm in my forties. I'm a father. I, I have my uh, priorities set around family when it comes to games. Uh, but my personal little thing will be, uh, I'll, I'll be playing Plague's Tale in, a, in about two weeks. I hear it's good. So, it's it's, yeah. Yeah. What's those rats? It's, it's a thing that rats. happens. Yeah. 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 Yes. Lots, lots of them. But uh, yeah, there's a lot more to it than that. But uh, I think the connectivity between the two main characters is what really makes that game for me. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For fear of spoiling, I won't say anymore. And as for FIFA, I was never offside. It's just rubbish, (laughs) nonsense. That goal was perfectly legit. Sorry, still bitter. <laughs> anyway, let's uh, move on to the second half of the show where we delve deep into the veil, Shadow of the Crown. 
So Dave, the first question is known as the Zeroth question. Yes, I'm fully aware that's an Asimov reference for those who know. But it is this. Before we can delve into what Shadow of the Veil is all about, we need to know what it is. So, in your own words, Dave, what is the Veil Shadow of the Crown? Um, it's, uh, it's a, I'm trying to give it a clever way to answer this question without slipping into my, my prepared speech. Um, but it is uh, an audio-based game. Uh, it does not need to be played. Uh, you don't need visuals to play it. So it, it's fully blind success, uh, accessible. Um, it features binaural audio um, where you can hear your environment in 3D spatialized sound around you using a pair of headphones. You play with a controller or keyboard. I'll explain the controller side of it, I suppose, uh, in which there's two basic elements to combat. Uh, sorry, to, the, to gameplay, there's exploration where you explore a 3D space with sounds all around you and the ones that are important, beacon sounds like a blacksmith to go buy weapons and armor is very easy to find. And then the little surprises and, and hidden, um, I guess, uh, sounds that sort of reward you for, for careful listening and exploration um, are things that unlock little quests and, and uh, other features in the game. Um, it's, it's in a medieval setting. I should probably mention I felt like the title shadow of the crown might be giving that away. Um, so it's a nice noisy setting, uh, when it comes to combat. Um, so when you do get into a fight, um, enemies surround you, uh, you can hear them in a very intimate way. They, they shuffle around and breathe and, and taunt you. Um, and it's, uh, I don't want to distill it down to making it sound too mechanical because there is an organic aspect of the way we've designed it. Um, but uh, enemies will attack and you need to react um, or take the initiative and, and uh, attack back. It's stick controls. So you, you swing out uh, right and left uh, and uh, straight ahead to the different places where enemies might be. And you can also uh, hold out a shield to block their attacks. Um, and it's kind of, you know, there's elements of like Mike Tyson punch out in terms of some, a little bit of pattern recognition, but it's mostly sort of um, managing your, um, uh, magic near the end of the game, managing uh, your, uh, what do you call it, um, endurance as you're fighting. Um, and um, uh, what should I say about the combat? Uh, oh, and then there's an element of range combat too, um, sort of a setup to a prelude to melee where you can move around, do sort of stealth type things and sneaking around, listening to enemies you can hear, and then shooting arrows at them uh, to, to sort of weaken them before before they advance on you. Yes, the, the the fine art of circle strafing with just audio is a, is a thing, everyone. But it can be yes, done. it can. Be done, yeah, <laughs> um, that was a pretty rambling explanation. Did I miss what did I miss? That the, the narrative is is a big part of this. It's uh it's a generally narr uh, linear narrative with uh, a little bit of branching, just to sort of add an aspect of of player agency. Uh, but ultimately, it's uh, it's taking um, spectacle that might usually be big and far away, big explosions, beautiful vistas and making it, uh, the spectacle is all very close. So it's an intimate game. Uh, enemies are, are close. Your partner that is helping you get through the world is very close and sort of whispering in your ear. Um, the things that you're listening for, um, are relatively, uh, small and, and, uh, um, and uh, you, yeah, you're traveling in tight spaces. You're in little dungeons and, and, uh, city, uh, squares and things like that. I've actually been thinking a lot about where else you could have set it and when else you could have set it and probably the antithesis of where you could have set it. And it's a great, it's perfect because you can have babbling brooks and wonderful mm -hmm. bird sounds and it's just like very distinct sounds. The antithesis of that, this is the thought, is probably Second World War. Mm -hmm. um, that would be just sensory overload of constant explosions machine yeah. gun fire and it's just like oh, I'm gonna yeah yeah you're nothing good at, yeah oh you just stepped on a mine no, there's a click sound and that's it it's the end of game this is fun isn't it no <laughs> so that's i just found myself chuckling at that going wow you could have gone all sorts of places i mean well, you can you know you can do a bad space station that could have worked too yeah. Uh, and uh, and but uh, it's not I'm not going to say it's been overdone. Far from it. I think it's been done exceptionally well in most cases. Uh, that, that, but, that was like know. sorry, jump in on this. That was something that we wanted to create a, quite a, a breadth of experience. Like like not have everything be always perfect for the the combat. There's a lot of relatively quiet scenarios, but with just sound mixing, we did try to create the feeling of 
crowd, you know, fight in a crowded bar or a yes. uh, a street fight where there's a crowd cheering on, and they, every time you hit somebody or get hit, you can hear the crowd cheering around you. And it wasn't the easiest thing to design because, uh, and and in a way, we sort of made the combat more straightforward and predictable in those sections because we wanted it to be more about the experience than uh, than the, the perfect. Uh, time to execute careful fighting, uh, which to me, I feel is kind of what Naughty Dog does with having these sections that you really do have to be technically uh, aware. And then other sections where all hell just breaks loose and you're just flying by the seat of your pants. Those sections <laughs> tend to get a little bit easier just so you can experience it in flow. Yeah. Um, and then we have a section where there's a full blown battle with catapults and, and horses charging and <laughs> arrows flying. Uh, and it's not a terribly playable section. It's a, it's more of a, playable cinema so yeah. uh yeah i do know that the strength of the game is the is probably the intimate fighting scenes um yeah. Yeah. but uh, we wanted to just kind of try everything see yeah. where it lands it, uh, this would not work in PUBG. the, <laughs> the, the it's, no. it's like because that that game's a, a muzzle flash game it's a game where it's like can yeah. you see the muzzle flash and you're probably dead you know yeah. that's how those those weapons work they're really really amazing range but my first design question is this. And this is something I speak as a man who's in his 50s. <laughs> and his old uh, hand-to-eye coordination ain't what it used to be. Uh, trust me, it's like, you know, like me sitting like, oh, something's happened. Hang on, can you press the button, Thumb? What button? The one's resting on. This button, yeah, please press it. What, now? Yes, now. <laughs> and that whole slow, really slow reactions. So what adjustments have you had to make with the timed reactions in the veil shadow of the crown to allow for hand to ear coordination. Is there any difference? Oh. Is it slightly off? What do you, I mean, I, I would assume it's even more in, I don't know. Have you had to make I, any changes? Honestly, uh, we, we viewed it as analogous, uh, straight up analogous. We said that uh, every bit of, of uh, visual, um, tell you might get in a fighting game or any kind of game uh, can come with a audio tell. And I guess maybe there's, there's already some evidence that bears out that they're similar in that uh, people within the blind community can be relatively successful at playing fighting games, using visual tells and, and memorizing the attacks of certain characters. Um, I suppose uh, ultimately uh, a game that's very twitchy and and is uh, sound is aligned to to uh, visuals perfectly. I guess there might be some scientific sort of uh, study needed to decide if if there is a major difference. Um, but we just looked at them as analogous and said, hey, if we don't have sound, what what do we need as a tell? Um, what what um, um, and how and and really just uh, base that on um, uh, on on play testing more than anything else as to to what was needed. So all the different timing. Uh, variables we put in for how long it takes for you to swing and, and that sort of thing. I think the biggest challenge with doing it aud- in an audio sense was that uh, if you just remove visuals and listen to where the sound is and then um, uh, and and then try to to make it work when you need a context for what's happening, that's where there's the biggest uh, holes in the, in the game. And there probably arguably still are some where people will take a while to figure some out, might have to play uh, an enemy. Um, it's, it's amazing how quickly some people pick up the context of what's happening and, and how long it takes others. But that's probably the biggest challenge is that it's hard to, to, um, to not understand what someone's doing. If you see it visually, Oh, they're kicking and then they're swinging or they're, or they're attacking from their, their big long arms are attacking from the side rather than not moving to the side. So it's mostly context. That was the biggest challenge. I didn't get a sense that there was any difference. Um, I don't know. Do you have any scientific understanding or. <laughs> no, I just paper? thought I was, I was asking if there'd been any studies on that. If you thought his, there's a delay. I suspect not, uh, because human beings are fantastic hunters. That's how we were at the top of the food tree, everyone. And uh, we need to do that in order to be able to hear and uh, throw our spears to yeah. it. Maybe, maybe there's a recognize a recognition. One of the things you are mm. asked to recognize, and people can generally do it, but it's it's more important on the hard levels or hard levels setting, typically setting, is uh, knowing the type of attacks coming, knowing that, oh, that's going to be a, a quick set of combos or, or a big heavy overhead attack. Um, you can just sort of get used to it. Uh, but how quickly that would have been able to be discerned visually would probably be, it'd be a very different animation 
Um, I, although I suppose we could have started with a very different sound, um, which is a choice we didn't make. Um, it's different, but it doesn't evolve. It evolves a little bit slowly. Um, but um, ultimately it was playable still and it felt right or real in that case. Uh, but that was, a, that was a question that came up a lot is how much um, we didn't want any radar. We didn't want any special sounds um, that weren't world sounds in general. Um, we do kind of lean on magic a bit near the end to have some, some fun things to go look for um, that are making magical sounds that only the main character can hear. Um, but um, uh, it, whereas in Naughty, Naughty Dog's um, Last of Us Part Two. Uh, they leaned very heavily on on some actually some very nice UI sounds, uh, but ultimately, um, if you're not used to that, it, it'll take you out. Um, so, the next question, and this one's about introducing or onboarding. I hate that phrase. I'll just use it anyway. But bringing <laughs> players into this experience, knowing that they can't see anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of interaction innovation in the Veil's Shadow of the Crown. There's a phenomenal amount. Because that has to be because of the nature. Uh, but there's also a significant level of familiarity to in how the world is presented. You know, low magic uh, um, fantasy um, mm. settings are quite well known now, thanks to The Witcher and, you know, the, the, the Game of Thrones. And, and, of course, Tolkien, who's very low magic, actually, if you look at his stuff. There's only five wizards. There is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and... Um, so how much have you lent into this to provide comfort to the player, to give them a sense of grounding, if at all? Yeah, we. I mean, I, I did this with another project too where uh, we had a pinball role-playing game and we decided not to try to do too much innovative with the setting and the story because we thought, oh, well, it's it's pinball. It's they're pin, We're taking medieval characters, archetypes of, of fantasy characters and making them into pinballs. That's novel enough. Um, and in hindsight, I, I, I don't mind I mind the choice, but I think there would always been room to have, have pushed that a little bit further, made it more unique, uh, and and uh, not rely too much on on comfort the comfort of the setting. Um, I I started in a similar spot with this game as well, where it's like okay, the protagonist is blind, um, which by the way is a is a trope in in many audio based games um, to to decide oh how can I align this experience of not being able to see with, with a character. Well, you, you make the character blind. So I, I didn't sidestep that um, as a sighted um, uh, person and developer, there was still a novelty to that for me. So I, I liked that as a, as a character starting point. Um, so in the scheme of things, there was a, a novelty to that, that I, I thought was interesting, uh, but the actual medieval fantasy aspect of it um, there, there was, there's a calculated um, level of comfortable themes and, and even the way I name things, I, I, I didn't go out of my way to reinvent uh, a new form, uh, in, uh, uniquely named magic. Uh, it's a fey realm. It's, uh, I guess, vaguely based on Irish or Scottish, uh, like f- fairy lore or something. Um, and uh, uh, it was uh, lined up to uh, a, a general, f- I, although I, for some crazy reason, decided to reverse East and West, but there's a general flow of, of um, Arabic Persian influence East in this or West in this case, and then something that's a little more continental Europe, uh, British Isles when you, as you move, uh, West in this case. Um, so there was all those things that, uh, very similar to what game was done in game of Thrones, um, as, as a grounding. Um, it was also somewhat important. Um, my initial thought was, uh, and it was more of a casting decision as I wanted really good actors and, and I was looking for accents and we were casting out of Toronto and I thought, Oh, you know what? I, I, I will probably get a, a lot of, uh, I just thought the casting pool would be fairly large for uh, Eastern accents, Eastern European accents. Um, and it, it was, it was good. But once I looked at my absolute best actors, just one-to-one actor, I actually started casting around um, the accents. They did the best and were the best actors. And my main character uh, had a, an English accent. Um, and it, I was very close to going, flipping the whole thing and, and that she would be moving to a more Eastern accent wise society. Um, and so what I was also enjoying is setting up something that would play out relatively traditionally in the feel of it through sound and then putting hints in the game that, well, what do people look like? How, how much of this does this align to, to the Euro- European East to West sort of shift in skin tone or in accents or, or, or 
whatever. Um, and uh, so I kind of play with that a bit too. Um, you know, what's a barbarian contextually? Well, barbarian's a Germanic person to a Roman uh, and they something very different to, to somebody else. So um, I kind of mixed that up a bit and just created, then started to create more unique characters, but it's very grounded and familiar and it's probably easier for writing. What well, is easier for writing for me in having a little bit of study and stuff and, and knowing what the ground to, to start with. And uh, um, yeah, I think it, at, at the end uh, of, of the day, I think um, I, I found it, I, I didn't want to stretch that too far. And it also allowed me to center the, the story on intimate connections. I mean, the game's intimate design wise, like, so why not have it really just be about this shepherd and this, this princess making their way home. Uh, and then the backdrop is less important. And I don't have to, like, people don't have to think too much about the political situation or how the hell magic works. So at the end of the day, after all that writing and thinking, I'm like, yeah, I, I don't need to, to innovate or, or world build um, as much. I want to character build. Yeah. I mean, when, when I, you encountered a character, it's very early in the game. It's not a spoiler. Very, very early. <laughs> and I just think, ah, oh. It it it's Shepherd. Is this Mass Effect now? It's, it's yeah. fine. It's <laughs> yeah. a nice yeah. nod. It's a nice nod, but at least I haven't got to deal with that horrible inventory. End to say. Anyway, uh, having replayed it recently because Legendary Edition, it's good fun. But first game's very clunky. Just warning you. Anyway, it hasn't aged well. The next question is this: Due to the audio-only feedback for the Veil Shadow of the Crown. There must have been challenges to avoid a sense of conceit in some aspects in order to give a suitable level of audio cues for the player to get them to go somewhere without, you know, to being too much of a, you know, um, dragging them by their nose around everywhere. But um, what have you done to avoid the issue of uncanny valley, as they say, that horrible phrase? But what what are the kind of things have you made sure that... Uh, you do give a sense of texture and reality rather than, um, you know, to avoid the sense of, oh, yes, I'm playing a video game. Yeah. I mean, first of all, this genre is just a, is a gift when it comes to uh, indie developers or, you know, people that don't have a lot of money to make a game um, and creating living, breathing, believable relatively believable worlds um so uh for, for one i do not need to hit a bar of visual fidelity for people to believe that that's a real person um for me not to be taken out of the experience because the hair texture is weird or the lips are moving oddly or whatever um so already i, I felt like we started i realized that this was the the secret sauce of this genre and why it, it it's something it's a bit of a developer's, at least a narrative developer's dream uh, and be able to create something that is believable and emotional and then not constantly having to worry about the tech tripping over the tech. Um, and not to say that you can't, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, um, pare down visuals or stylized visuals to, to just avoid that and, and have something uh, very appealing and sexy, um, uh, which also is now uh playing into those things you're trying to do. Uh, just It's just very expensive and it's hard to do that well. So already I've cut out a big problem with, with that suspension. And then it, it, at this that point, it, I think it was really, it was in the writing. It was trying to, uh, I remember there's this stupid joke in uh, in Simpsons uh, where they're, we're watching this uh, show called Night Boat. It's like Night Rider, but it's a boat. And uh, in every scene, there has to be a canal or uh, like a fjord or, you know, like there's always a water source. So you can, this thing is incredibly limited by where it can go to have this, this story make sense. Well, there's a little bit of that. If, if we want our protagonist to be our protagonist, to be the, um, the driver of action, uh, we have to give them the ability to be able to navigate um, and, uh, and find things. So those things have to make sound. Um, so, I mean, first of all, there's some simple rules. Um, a European square is a fairly common thing to, 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 to have where a lot of the action uh, of a village would be centered around an open space. Um, so there was no need in my mind to have any kind of navigable corridors or, or things you'd be bumping into walls. So there's really nothing um, uh, invisible, not invisible, <laughs> nothing that's soundless that was going to get in the player's way. Um, and then at the point I felt that, beacons were going to get tired. It made sense in all the different uh, villages to have like a, a medieval tavern with music or to have uh, 
um, a fire pit or, or, um, uh, or blacksmith shop. At a certain point, uh, once you just start doing adventuring things, it's like, well, how many waterfalls can you be trying to discover things behind stuff like that? Or crows with dead bodies <laughs> under them. Uh, I, magic sort of takes over and the player discovers an ability to hear these magic items, which becomes an element of what you're trying to, 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 to go after. So there was a convenient swap of, of creating as much context as I could early on and then giving it up to, to a magic power. Um, but I think the magic kind of had to come in. Um, I, am sure if I sat and thought about it, I, I created scenes that were on ferries with boats and on horseback mm-hmm. and, and all sorts of different scenarios to try to keep that going. Uh, but at a certain point, or if I made a bigger game, uh, I might, I might very quickly decide to fall back into a radar system or, or something, or something maybe, uh, connected to magic that helps the, the main character navigate. Um, and then, oh, there are scenes later on too, where your, your companion leads a little bit where you listen to your, your yes. campaign following a torch, but I do that very late. I, I want to establish that the leader of this operation is this main character, Jeez, uh, yeah, which yeah. to me is, is kind of the, the point of, of the, the, when you try to, again, at least from a sighted player's point of view, you want to be transported into something unfamiliar and something exciting and interesting. And one thing, uh, I mean, a lot's made out of the blind swordsman trope where uh, this person can do this amazing thing and they're blind. That's amazing. But for me, it's just, I mean, the, having a confidence to walk around a crowded village, this is something people in the blind community do. <laughs> they, yeah. they do this all yeah. the time and with great confidence, sit on chairs and don't fall. And I mean, and these are things that to me, you give me two seconds and 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 I'm going to feel very insecure about that. And it's a, to me, it's one of the the liberating feelings of playing the game is that you play a character that's that's never uh, second guesses uh, where she is and how, how she, um, even though she does rely on help too, she's not afraid to ask for help. But she's uh, um, and that and the, her blindness drops away very quickly in the game, and you're just this person. Um, and to me, it's just like you know, okay, I, I could be a god of war and, and fight with a big sword, or I could be a, a very skilled swords person who also navigates, you know. Uh, scary places uh, without being able to see. And I found it kind of empowering, I guess. So, Yeah, initially it would let you feel quite claustrophobic uh, if you're not sighted. Uh, then you know, if, you're, if you are sighted, I should say, then you're like used to like constantly using that primary sense as far mm-hmm. as you're concerned. And it, it actually acts in tandem with the hearing, but people don't want to admit that, I've found. Uh, and uh, so when it's taken away from you, it feels initially quite claustrophobic. But very, very quickly, I found within... 20, 30 minutes or so, maybe even less for some, that feeling of uh, just falls away. And you go, mm-hmm. oh, I can actually see all this. I can actually see it. I can see the, you know, the, the, the boar that I'm having to shoot an arrow at. I, haven't, I can see it, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, no, it's um, it's very, very well done. I just, uh, it's just, you don't want the, there's going to be a situation where, because you've got fantastic voice actors, it could be so easy to call your name over and over again in the mm-hmm. same tone. It's like, oh, that's the same that's the same sample. I'm sure you've done multiple samples to make sure that doesn't happen. There's the there's little things that make all the difference. All the difference. So my last question. Here we go. Good things come to an end. Here it is. <laughs> the story uh, of the Veil Shadow of the Crown being told via audio. There's no real means or indeed warrant to actually skip it in any way, as you did, many people do, especially mm-hmm. in MMOs. I, I don't care to give it a quest. Okay, fine, kill 10, ten rats, fine. Uh, but you can't do this. Mm-hmm. And this has granted you a much broader palette to paint the world with than most other developers in that they actually do have a palette to paint with because they actually paint the world itself. You actually see it. They've got the things. They don't have to just, whereas you have now have got the chance to actually paint it with words um how have you found that have you found that sort of affording you a platform to actually paint the world with words because by doing so you're going to have to add some editorial and some narrative into that how have you found that yeah i I touched on that uh, earlier with the idea that my game has the most fantastic hair textures believable faces (laughs) Uh, anything, anything visual about this game is 100% uh, realistic in the, in the player's mind because they're filling that in for me. Um, and that did afford me a lot of, um, I think there was a, a tremendous ability to, to create 
intimate moments and things. And uh, the other thing, uh, and you hinted to this, is um, in many games, you don't know, you don't control the experience technically um, uh, the same way you would this game. VR has a similar uh, added advantage with this as well, where we always talk about, well, we don't know if the person's playing with the sound off. So if you ever want to rely on sound for anything in a game, you have to think carefully about that. You're like, what if they're playing in a busy bar? And I'm like, well, why is someone playing this game in a busy bar? But you know, these are the questions people ask in, in rooms when you're designing stuff. Um, or some people do play with the sound off and subtitles on like there, there are play experiences like this. So I have a known starting point. I know people have to have headphones on and are, are captive in that. Um, and I have, uh, and I did run into, there's one aspect of this that I hadn't considered that I, I, there may be an update to the game at some point, but I had not invested in any kind of uh, system to skip or, uh, ways of really tracking, um, uh, like flags and things like all sorts of bad things happen. If you don't set up the system in a way that skipping is easy. I said, you know what, there's, uh, if you go and talk to somebody and get a quest or learn a story, you get that, that one time in full, you can't skip it. But when you come back, the world recognizes that you've been there before and there's a shorthand comment like, are you, you going to go out and, and hunt those wolves for me? Something that gives you the context of the quest, but doesn't have to, you don't have to do the whole thing over again. So I was, I think somewhat forgiving and not allowing people to ever have to, to see something twice or listen to something twice. Um, however, in the blind community, um, I, you know, related partly to the lack of content. Um, they're playing this game 10 times. <laughs> And, uh, and and also very generously playing it 10 times to help me um, test this game too. Um, and a game that's about five hours maybe to play. I don't know how long it took you to play the, the game. Mm. Um, and if, you, if you're very thorough um, somewhere around that, uh, I'd say most people might play on normal and then go to hard, try challenge yourselves. But this is the type of experience I think you play once or twice. Um, it's it's narrative-based, narrative narrative-heavy. Uh, not a huge amount of branching. Um, and I'm perfectly cool with that being the experience that, that you should be accept, uh, expecting. It's novel for that period of time. And then um, you're quite happy to move on to, to another game. Um, in this community, however, uh, they're, they're quite, they, they want to play this a lot. And, uh, and there are people that are playing it a lot. And I get the question like, okay, I've, I've played the game five times now. Um, do I need to, to hear the whole story leading into these sections? And I, and I'm like, yeah, I never thought of how people might play the game this way. Yeah. Um, so really is it, it's, it is set up for that first time playthrough where all these discoveries narrative wise are new, uh, where in a weird way, once you're settled with having to listen to this, <laughs> there's this moment, I think there's a moment for everybody. Like, am I going to really have to listen to this guy? Like even ma- buying a sword, there's, there's a character, there's a character building discussion with this blacksmith. Yeah. And that, yeah. and that's something I'm asking people to accept is that yeah. you're going to learn about this person. Your character is going to exert their character on this world by talking about something with the blacksmith before you get to buy the sword. And, and that is an element of world building. And it's, it's something I'd, I, I'd hope people will appreciate, but I, I can totally understand people expecting to get to the mechanics they like, which is what happens to people who play the game a lot and say, look, I really like that fight, but um, I don't have a way to jump to that to that chapter even i've got to play the whole game again to get to that fight so these are things i'll probably do for that community and for everybody who wants to jump in and and play their favorite parts of the game but this is meant to be like you're in you lock in and you you play this game and experience it um in first person intimately from beginning to end and uh, i've committed to that and and hopefully people will be okay with that yeah i just feel that every person you encounter even the you know the, the the mooks, if you like, or the you know the the, the minor sort of like okay. they just feel like more tangible than ones that you encounter in Skyrim or something because it's like mm-hmm. oh, it's another, another vendor. Let's see if I can steal from him. I never did that, but people you know <laughs> generally did, uh, and uh, it's just like you know the whole um, it, it just feels like that there's two D things, whereas you can't see them. So they become even more infused in your brain because you're having yeah. to construct them yourself. And, you know, uh, and yeah, fascinating stuff. I just wanted to delve into it a little bit. But uh, so, Veil Shadow of the Crown, uh, which is developed and published by Falling Squirrel. Um, fantastic name for a developer. Where do you get, where do you get that one from? Uh, oh, the name of my, yeah. my company? 
Yeah. Oh my God. I've been carrying that thing since I was 19 in film school. <laughs> I shot a video of city workers catching squirrels that they would get to jump out of trees and they made us Olympic sport out of it. It was a silly mockumentary we made. And uh, I, I called uh, the company that made that, that game, uh, that uh, film falling squirrel. And then I've been just carrying it's, it kind of reminds you of Peter Jackson. He's got these amazing, huge, you know, like this huge empire and it's wing nut is <laughs> still his uh, production yeah. company, yeah. even yeah. though he's making these big, beautiful, serious things. So I, it's, it's my albatross. I'll carry that forward. And, and people see it stands out, but yep, that's right. where it came from. Yeah. Student video, um, and you worked with the Canadian National Institute for the Blind. I understand for this, is that right? Uh, that's that's where it started. I mean, it opened up to the greater community, uh, the visually impaired community, very quickly. But uh, that's where I started. I walked into the office, uh, made a friend uh, who's been our consultant, um, and uh, uh, our first play sessions, uh, play test sessions, really just for from a design standpoint, not an, even an accessibility standpoint, came from that community. Uh, and then audiogames.net has a huge community of, of game uh, blind gamers um, who uh, probably 200 or so people play, play a lot of this game and gave me a lot of feedback. Um, and again, for, for a very small team, uh, I can't, I can't tell you how valuable that is. Um, so it was great. I can well imagine. And uh, time the show's released and we're recording it before uh, mm-hmm. the veil show of the crown is actually out, but by the time in future times, Hey, future people, I'm sure there's flying cars and everything. Great. Uh, is um, It's out on Windows, PC, and Xbox One. Is that right? That is correct, yeah. yeah. And it's, uh, I guess, what What are our uh, Steam and uh, Epic Store and Itch? Those and are itch, the, yeah, the yeah. Yeah, platform They're for the, the three those different places. types. But, uh, yeah, um, Dave, it's been fantastic having you on the show. Really yes, yeah, thank you. This was a lot of fun. I, I like talking a lot. Yeah, <laughs> so this is great. Thank you. No, I'm, I'm glad you liked it. Um, more than welcome to come back. We've had a lot of return guests over the years, and uh, of course, you will skip most of the first half because you've done that. Yep, uh, it'd but, be my pleasure. That's good. Yeah, but it'd be great. So, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, Chris. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash cane and rinse for early extended and exclusive podcasts find us on twitter facebook instagram twitch youtube and at our website cane and rinse.com